Well, happy 2017, everyone. Once again, it's time for our questions and answers. This is where you ask the questions, I'll give you the answers. If you want to ask a question, just go on to any video on YouTube, just put in your question, I'll find it, collect my favorites, and answer them here. Before we get to that, I just want to let you know that we have published a free book for 2017. It's called 101 Astronomical Events in 2017. This was written by Dave Dickinson, published by Universe Today, and it tells you the 101 coolest things to see in the night sky in 2017, including eclipses, occultations, cool times to see satellites, things like it. It's totally free, there's no ads. Just go ahead and download it. If you like it and you download it and you tell your friends and lots of people download it, then this is a thing that we'll do on a regular basis. And if nobody uses it, then we won't do it again. So check it out. Uh, just go to Universe Today. We'll put a link here in the show and then you can go and, and check it out. All right, let's get on to the questions. Toronto, the scientific nerd. What if an asteroid had a moon and was orbiting very close to Earth? Will it hit or get wiped out of the solar system? Well, the first cool thing is that asteroids can have moons. There's been a bunch of asteroids that have been detected with a moon. So you can imagine this situation where this asteroid comes close to the Earth and its moon, and then you get this three-body gravitational interaction. I guess really four-body gravitational interaction between the Earth and the moon and the asteroid and its moon. And so you could get a situation where the, the asteroid and its moon get crashed into each other, or the asteroid crashes into the Earth, or the moon crashes into the Earth. Whatever happens, it's going to be chaos. So probably the asteroid and its moon are going to get split apart. One's going to go one way, one's going to go the other way, and, and that'll be it. And no longer will that moon be orbiting around the asteroid. It's pretty great that these things exist. Alphonse Bugisha. What type of radiation does a black hole release? Can we use it to detect them? A black hole doesn't release energy. It, if it's consuming material, then it's going to release energy in the form of radiation particles when, as it's sort of waiting, it's building up in the secretion disk. But once the black hole's finished consuming everything that it's gonna eat, then it's all gone. And so this is one of the problems with black holes is we can really only detect them while they're actively feeding. And then there's times when they're not actively feeding and then they're just completely dark. And so it, a black hole could be moving close to the solar system and we wouldn't even know where it was. We would just be affected by its gravity. Now you're probably thinking of Hawking radiation, which is this other idea, but it just gives off like regular particles, uh, photons, maybe heavier you know, neutrons, electrons, various particles, but it happens so rarely that you wouldn't really be able to detect it on, a, on an ongoing basis. Suhas N. Why is it that we can spot stars and galaxies millions of light years away from the Earth, but can't spot the planet nine, which is way nearer? The galaxies that are millions or even billions of light years away contain a tremendous amount of stars and they are emitting radiation, which allows us to see them so far away. While planet nine, for example, is only reflecting the light from the sun. Now it's probably a very dirty object, it probably has a very uh, you know, it doesn't reflect a lot of light and it's very far away from the sun, which is the only source of radiation that it can get. That means that Planet Nine is at the very limits of what our current observatories can see. Now, over the next generation of telescopes with the James Webb, with a lot of these new ground-based telescopes, it's possible, almost certain, that we are going to be able to find Planet Nine as our techniques and abilities come up. But then that's gonna bring a whole new class of objects that are right at the limits of what are, we are observationally capable of seeing. So this is just how it works. The galaxies are giving off a tremendous amount of light while these darker Kuiper belt objects are just reflecting light. 
Pantera Mex 87. When the Milky Way and Andromeda collide, could Andromeda's gravity change the path of the solar system, maybe altering its course towards some dangerous territory? In a few billion years, when the Milky Way and Andromeda collide with each other, the there's so much space in between the stars that they're not actually going to be smashing into each other. It's going to be like, like two bees passing each other a kilometer apart. The chances of these, these solar systems actually colliding is very low. But as you said, what could happen is the, the gravitational interactions, as things get close, they could be pushed into new directions. The chances of that happening are very low. But what could happen, and will happen to some of the stars of the, the some of the, the solar systems in the galaxies, is they're going to get thrown out of their respective gravity galaxy. They're going to get swapped into the other galaxy. So, so star systems that were in the Milky Way are going to end up in Andromeda and vice versa. So we just kind of don't know exactly so we don't know exactly what's going to happen to uh, to our own solar system when this collision happens. Chances are probably nothing. Lord of the Flings. I get the dark energy is driving the galaxies apart faster than gravity can pull them together, preventing a big crunch. But what about the galaxies themselves? Why aren't they collapsing or flying apart? Dark energy, this ex this accelerating expansion of the universe is a force, a constant force that's applied equally across every cubic light year of space. And it's very low. So the amount of, of this repulsive force that's acting within the volume of a galaxy is less than the gravitational force that's binding the whole galaxy together. Until you get a volume of space that is like millions of light years, the distance between us and very distant galaxies, can that pressure be strong enough to drive those galaxies apart? But within the galaxy itself, gravity is just too strong. It's the same reason why we don't fly apart, right? The, the force of our, of our atoms holding themselves together is much stronger than this dark energy will ever be. So we're not going to fly apart from dark energy. The galaxies aren't going to fly apart. It's, it's only those spaces between galaxies that are actually going to expand. Joseph Hirschdick. If the end of the known universe is 13.8 billion light years in all directions, doesn't that mean that the Earth is the center of the universe? When we say that the universe, the edge of the universe is 13.8 billion light years in all directions, that is the observable universe, which means that we can only observe 13.8 billion light years in all directions. I'm going to give you sort of an analogy, which is imagine that you're in a cloud, a fog cloud, a fog bank, and you can see out 20, 100 meters around you, and then it just gets too foggy and you can't see anymore. Now, does that mean that you are at the center of the fog bank? No. And so if there's another person that's in the fog bank as well, and they're somewhere else, and they're seeing the same thing that you're seeing, they're at the center of their observable fog bank, while you're at the center of your observable fog bank. And that's really just what we talk about when we talk about the observable universe. The actual universe is much bigger, maybe infinite. And so we just don't know uh, how far it can go and where we are in relation to the rest of it. And if it's infinite, then it just goes on forever in all directions. Tommy Thompson, how are we going to start up Mars's magnetic field? Wouldn't all the terraforming go away after a few decades due to solar radiation? We can't start up 
Mars's magnetosphere. It's just, Mars is too small. It never really had the same kind of dynamo going in the center of the, of the planet to the same extent that Earth did. And even if it did, it shut down a long time ago. So unless we can liquefy the entire planet and kind of re-engineer it at a, it just takes terraforming to the next level. And you're absolutely right, which is that the solar radiation is pushing away the lighter elements from the atmosphere of Mars out into space. It's entirely possible, though, that we could just keep replenishing the atmosphere. Maybe it takes 10,000 years or 100,000 years to replenish the atmosphere that's being lost by the solar radiation. So just, just keep feeding it a steady diet of comets and other material, and you can counteract that solar pressure for very long periods of time. So it, it's not great, but it's something that we can kind of compensate and cope with. Kurt Reber regarding accretion disks. Among all the known black holes, do these disks always flow in the same direction? Why or why not? No, there's no preferred direction of rotation or orientation of anything in the universe. When we look out into the universe, we can see these accretion disks going one way, we can see accretion disks going the other way, we can see them edge on, we can see them face on, we can see them in every single possible permutation, and it's random. And that's good, because if there was some preferred direction, if everything was always going counterclockwise from our perception, that would be really weird. So, nope, the universe is random. The largest surveys done show that in all directions, everywhere we look, there is no preferred direction for anything. Hein Duplessis, if a virtual particle pair appears on an event horizon, one falling in and the other having to find another partner in order to disintegrate, surely this will add mass to the black hole. Now, I did a great show with Dr. Paul Metzetter where we talked about what really virtual particles are, that it's, that it's actually not this idea of of a particle appearing and one going in and one going out that it's all about fields and I don't know my eyes kind of glazed over and he was wibbly wobbly field anyway the point is that but we'll sort of go back to these layman terms right so when you've got this virtual particle appearing on the edge of the event horizon and one particle is flying off into space and one is dropping into the black hole you would think that because these particles are dropping into the black hole it's making it more massive but you've got to remember that you know the, the vast majority of these particles are photons. And so we're seeing photons coming off of the black hole, theoretically. It's never been observed. But we're seeing photons coming off of the black hole. Now that violates the laws of physics. Energy and matter cannot be created or destroyed. So where is this energy coming from? Well, it turns out the black hole has to pay the price to allow this photon to escape into the universe. It has to give up mass according to E equals mc squared to allow this photon to get away from it. And so as an outside observer, you are seeing light and particles and atoms of hydrogen and grizzly bears being released from the black hole and the mass of the black hole has to decrease to compensate. I don't know about the grizzly bears part. Streak one burnt rubber. Is the observable universe the same as the visitable universe? If we started traveling right now at the speed of light, could we ever hope to visit anything outside of the Earth's observable universe, or does space expand too fast? There are two spheres that we need to think about. There is the observable universe, this idea that 13.8 billion light years in all directions, that is, that is the amount of light that has reached us. And of course, that is not the real size of that. That is like that light is 13.8 billion light years old, but really it's 46 billion light years because it's moved since then. Anyway, so that is the scale of the universe. But over time, 
that the expansion and acceleration of the universe thanks to dark energy is pushing that material further and further and faster and faster away. So you can imagine a situation where <clears throat> you might fly off of Earth and colonize the Milky Way and move to Andromeda because it's moving towards us and colonize the rest of the local group and then try to get to another galaxy and these galaxies are starting to move faster and faster away from us and you might even going the speed of light not be able to reach these galaxies so there will be a limit and the visitable universe i think is a is a great terminology to use the the colonizable universe the the sphere that is within the reach of some super advanced robot civilization where they've just they've reached the limit they've colonized every single galaxy every star every world they've turned them all into dyson swarms and then there's nowhere else that they can get to and that that is a limit that will be reached. And in the far, far future, that's the only universe they'll ever know. All right, well, thanks again to all of your questions. That was awesome. So wherever you're on any video, just ask a question and I will gather them together and answer them here. So we'll see you all next week. So in a few billion years, oh, I did it again, okay. In a billion, no. Oh.